Welcome to Retaining the Passion, Journeys Through Nursing. This is a non-affiliated podcast. Any views expressed by the hosts or guests do not necessarily represent those of the organizations they work for or are studying at, or any trade unions or professional bodies they are members of. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode nine. Episode Yay. nine, can you believe it? So today's episode is all about global nursing for lots of different reasons, but I think we probably need to acknowledge first off that there are some changes happening um, in the RCN in particular, of which you and I are both members, mm-hmm. around decisions on whether to join the ICN and that this conversation will inevitably touch on that it's not a campaign piece. There is a campaigning group and I'm not part of it, nor have I formed my views and opinions. But I think it's important to acknowledge that we might talk about the RCN on this episode a little bit more than we maybe normally do. Yeah, exactly. No, like our thing says at the start, we're not affiliated to any trade union or professional body. But because of who we have on to speak, then it does have an RCN influence. And I think I would like to open up and caveat that I am on the campaigning group for We Are Global yep. Nurses. So I think I need to be really open, honest and let you know about that. So we're going to start with our normal feature, which is our first time for everything. So I will go first. Cool. So I had a chat with a close friend of mine, a mentor, someone that I work with quite personally within the RCN, funnily enough. And it was talking about online presence and what you create out there and the online persona that you create for yourself. And it actually encouraged me for the first time to go back to my personal blog that I haven't written in since, I don't think, 2018. And I wrote a whole piece about authenticity and what it means to be your actual self. Because I think quite often the persona I put out online is very different to who the actual me is. Like you, Claire, know the real me. We have conversations. But I am actually quite a shy, introverted person who is much more at company on my own or with close friends. But I think online I have this effervescent, bubbly, positive personality. And there's nothing wrong with being positive, but it was all about finding that authenticity. And it's a work in progress and something that I'm going to continue. But yeah, it was nice to return to my personal blog this week. So what was your first time for everything? So, well, just before I say that, I think it's really true what you said. And I think a lot of people have read your blog and found that quite interesting. And I've reflected on it quite a lot. And I think the other thing to think about is whether we do just have one authentic self. So I've, I might write another blog following on from this. And you can respond. <laughs> I know we haven't actually talked about this beforehand. So this is the first Craig's hearing about it. But I was thinking about whether I do have one true authentic self or whether there's maybe several of me. Am I different as a wife, as a mother, as a friend, as a nurse, as a, a guide leader, which is something I do empowering women to say. I'm quite interested and I've been looking at some Belbin stuff this week. So yeah, I might respond with a Ooh. multiple identity authentic self <laughs> me. So we'll see. So what was so your first time? My first time. I don't know how much I've mentioned this on the pod, probably not a huge amount actually, but my father-in-law had quite a serious stroke last year, almost a year ago now. 
And in July, he moved in with us into our family home. So we now don't have a dining room or a downstairs loo because he has all that area or a, I had a little kind of office space where I did my degree. So he has all that kind of side of the house. So we're a bit squashed, there's six of us in, in the <laughs> other side of the house. Not complaining. People are much worse than we Not are. Not including the animals. But- we have many animals, many, many. That's a whole other story. But he's made the decision that he probably wants to go into a care home and that's the right decision for him and for us. And let me just tell you that I've always respected carers and I'm a carer for my own children with additional needs. But until you've walked in the shoes of a carer day in, day out, 24-7, it's tough. And when it's your parent, so I really feel for my husband because it's really tough, but that's not what my first time is. So he has been assessed by various different people, by the care home, by social services, by some kind of stuff around his finance. And we've been part of that. And so for the first time, really, I've been on the other side of the assessment. It's usually me going in, asking the questions. And so that's been really interesting. It's been tough because sometimes it still feels like work because assessment is bread and butter for a mental health nurse and so it's been been tough few weeks for us here at Shea Manley Um, (laughs) so hence why moving on to the actual episode work's been pretty intense COVID is now really taking its toll on community mental health teams I think and we're really seeing the fallout from that and that's why although we have two wonderful guests today Jenny and Howard Unfortunately, because of the nature of the way my world is at the moment, I had to pull out very last minute on speaking to Howard, which I'm gutted about. And so what will follow now is an interview from Jenny Watts, possibly the nicest woman alive, we both agree. And And she is, just to put out, she is part of the co-lead of We Are Global Nurses. Nurses. And then I speak to Howard Catton, who is the CEO of ICN. And although I am a member of We Are Global Nurses, people on Twitter did know I was speaking to him. And I do go a bit Emily Maitlis. So I do ask him the harsh questions. So I hope you all enjoy. So we are really excited today to talk about global nursing. And our first guest is the very lovely Jenny Watts, who is a registered adult child nurse and a health visitor. So welcome, Jenny. Welcome, Jenny. We're so glad to have you. Really glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So we always start by having our guests tell us their journey. So it's all about journeys through nursing, our podcast. So we'd love you to tell us for as far back as you want, as as up to date as you want kind of how you got to where you got to and you know we'd love you to be really honest and as personal as you want to be so yeah how did you get to where you are well it's quite a journey (laughs) and I try not to waffle which I sometimes do so I came into nursing at 18 I was always very passionate about nursing and from the very first moment I started I was really enthusiastic about representing my peers so I became a student rep on the first week of my course I was um Sounds familiar. familiar yeah <laughs> <laughs> similar experiences and so I was in central London and it was a political time for the health economy and I got quite involved with that and I went to in my second year a meeting at the Royal College of Nursing this amazing building on Cavendish Square and there was lots of talks about students but I stood up and asked for the microphone and said well that's great but what about this what about what's happening in London what about the health economy and someone came up to me afterwards and said oh would you be interested in taking a year out and working for the Royal College of Nursing as a student organizer we'd like to apply for a new scheme that we've got going and I just oh, thought that's you know, amazing. I'm gonna try I'm gonna do it I'm gonna try yeah and I, I think people actually were very surprised 
not everyone was supportive it's not something that you tend to do is it step out of your nursing studies no I took a year out as a student organizer and I worked in the south of England and I had an amazing experience learning about how to organize students how to organize nurses and it was a really crucial time education was being transferred into higher education and it was really important that nurses had a voice in universities and it, it was the foundation of my career to come really so I joined back to my course But at the same time, I got elected to the National Union of Students National Executive as an elected, which was great. And I worked part time for the National Union of Students. I mean, I say work, all their national executive members (laughs) did it, but I got given time for my course and I completed my studies. So that was my student experience. And then as a newly qualified nurse, I went into a cardiology ward, but I was always looking for the next thing, always looking for the next adventure. So I went to work abroad in Romania with children. And it was very challenging, difficult experience. But again, learned a lot. Came back to the UK and thought, what next? Did some agency work, which was really interesting. And then I went to do my postgraduate children's qualification at South Bank University and worked at Great Ormond Street Hospital for a while. And then I looked for my next adventure (laughs) and I went on to train to be a health visitor. And that was a fantastic fit for me Uh, in terms of social justice, working with families, making a difference. I worked in Peckham for about four years and I had a really fantastic time. But again, always looking for the next thing. And if I'm really honest, got a little bit of burnout from my experiences there. And so the next opportunity that came my way was an advert to actually work for the Royal College of Nursing, which mm-hmm. was my absolute roots. And trade unionism was always very important to me. So I went to work in the London region for about five years. And then I went to work in the Southwest region. Jenny, how can you have done all this? You still look about... I was just going to say, our (laughs) listeners can't see Jenny. I'm like, so she started when she was two. (laughs) (laughs) So young. And then I did about four years in the Southwest region. And at that stage, I'd worked for the Royal College of Nursing for nearly 10 years, but I wasn't even 40 yet. And I thought, oh, do you know... I think I need to get back to my roots. I have to go back to nursing. So I went back to health visiting for another four, five years. And now I work for the clinical commissioning group and I'm doing a role that you don't have to be a nurse to do, but I think is very, very advantageous if you are, because it's working, it's supporting commissioners to engage the community, the population, the patient group, frontline staff in the work they do. And it's a great fit for me. And health visiting really fits well with that, doesn't it? Like you say, the marginalised and social justice, that kind of connection there. I think it's been great because it's the children and women's team I work for. So trying to link in people the having the background that I've got is really helpful and, and I think it shows you the kind of different kind of roles nurses can do but also what skills you can bring to some of the jobs that are out there as well yeah Jenny, you've just had such a fascinating career but having said that Craig what I would say to everyone out there is I'm a band five now mm. so one of the things I've always believed in and I 
strongly believe now is that success isn't determined by your grade yes we all need a pay packet we all need to support our families and i'm campaigning for fair pay for nursing and i'm doing rcn role at the moment yeah because you're sending rcn trade union yeah so i'm on the national trade union committee and we're leading the pay campaign i also am the chair of my local branch but i'm a band five so that is the same grade when i qualified as a nurse 20 odd years ago that's the grade i qualified on but i would consider myself to be a successful nurse and I think I've had a really rich career so one of the things I think is really important to tell people who are just qualifying is don't judge your success on your grade or how high up the hierarchical ladder you've climbed success can be measured in many different things and the experiences I've had you just couldn't buy I just think that's such an inspirational message for all our listeners, Jenny, because I don't think anyone out there could argue that you're not a successful nurse. Absolutely. Now, you and I both have a very close friend, Paul Jeb. Yes. And together, I just want to let our listeners know that you two have set up a campaigning group which is called We Are Global Nurses. And you are campaigning for the Royal College of Nursing to rejoin the International Council of Nurses. So I just wanted you to let our listeners know, what are your aims and reasons for doing this? Well, first of all, a note to Paul Jeb. So Paul Jeb I met when I was on the RCN Student Committee. So I think another thing to say, people you meet early in your career and as a student can be very influential people on your life. So Paul Jeb and I stayed connected through social media and nursing. And in May 2017, it was a May bank holiday. I remember it well. We were both with a lot of other people following online the International Council of Nurses Congress in Barcelona. I think we were all talking about it and retweeting it. And then we had started a discussion saying, hang on a minute, are the UK there? We realised, and in the back of my head, I think I did know this, the UK weren't part of the International Council of Nurses. Yes. And this Congress was like really dynamic. I mean, some of the stuff that was coming out of it, it was a powerful display of nurse power, but advancing their profession. And you see people from all over the world connected. And we were just thinking, wow, we're a group of nurses sat here in the UK. It wasn't just me and Paul. It was a lot of us having this conversation and we're not part of it and so the conversation turned into a call for action and as the conversation went on some people said well who's going to do it and I said well I'll do it and Paul said well I'll do it (laughs) so out of Twitter we started the campaign so essentially the International Council of Nurses is a group of nursing associations about 130 from across the world and they campaign for the rights of nurses and I know you're going to be talking to the chief executive so I'm not going to go into that too much but we felt really strongly that the UK should be part of that and we started our journey which has been a long journey because three years later we never expected to be at the stage where we are we thought this may have moved a bit quicker but I think with campaigning you have to accept never give up perseverance is a massive part of campaigning and that's what we've done absolutely so Jenny we know that you've been working alongside a lot of people on we are global nurses for a long time so at the moment the way it stands at the RCN 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it's in a consultation period. And then if they agree that there is enough people interested in rejoining the ICN, it's going to become a vote at the AGM. Is that correct? Yeah. So I suppose over the last three years, we've used the things in the RCN, the democratic process to try and get this highlighted. So we wrote letters, we did videos, we campaigned at Congress, and then ultimately we did have a matter for discussion agendaed at Congress in 2019. Council and the RCN International Committee have recommended that there is a consultation which will start in November for one month. They'll be asking members what their views are on joining the International Council of Nursing and I believe other global alliances as well. Okay. And then they will make recommendations at the end of that consultation and they could recommend yes, join, or they could recommend something completely different. And then it will go to a vote in the AGM at 2021. So it will go to a vote at the AGM regardless of what the consultation says? That's my understanding. But just to bear in mind, I'm not on those committees. Yeah. They've released a statement and that's my understanding. There's going to be a consultation and then there'll be a vote at the AGM in 2021. It's so interesting to hear about all the changes because I was brought up abroad I lived in Asia and Italy and my dad used to work in Romania so it's really interesting you saying you'd spent time in Romania Um, and I was really lucky I went to China as part of my undergraduate studies and saw nursing there and I think it was just really interesting to see different countries who don't have different fields of nursing I'm a mental health nurse and in a lot of countries That's not even a thing. So I guess it's understanding what do you think we can do to try and encourage all nurses, but new nurses in particular, how they can become engaged in global nursing and why should they? Why is it important? It's really interesting. So I read your question. You gave me a heads up on the questions and I've really thought about that. I think the first thing is. And as a campaign, I don't think we're going in heavy handed trying to convince people membership of this one organisation. I think what we're really trying to do is raise awareness of why we all as nurses need to be globally minded. And one of the ways we believe that we can do that is through joining together with our colleagues at the International Council of Nurses, because we do believe in them as an organisation and we do believe they offer us that. But the wider issue is why are we saying that? Why do we think that will benefit us? And I think there's two things I wanted to say about that. I think there are absolutely a lot of benefits to us doing that. And I'll go on to talk about those. But the thing we have to talk about as a community of nurses is not just what we get, it's what we give. Yeah. And the narrative has been lost. When we join a union, we join together to get the benefits for ourselves, but we do it for the benefit for others, for the vulnerable in society. Yes. People we can help. So I am absolutely clear when we have this discussion with every nurse that we talk about what we get, but we talk about what we give. Why did we come into this profession? Why do we join together in organisations? It's not just for our own benefit, it's for the benefit of others as well. Mm. Having said that, there is a clear set of things that we will get as individuals. And I think the issue is not convincing people. I think it's just letting them know the issue is out there, giving them the awareness 
And actually, a lot of newly qualified novice nurses, student nurses, they share the agenda that we're talking about because they're very aware of social justice. So one of the biggest things we will have is the power to impact world health policy. And that's going to help us. I mean, we're citizens of the world. It's going to help us if we increase that. So the International Council of Nurses have a seat on the World Health Organization and they join in the World Health Assembly and they make interviews. Interventions. They directly impact world health. Why wouldn't we want that power? Why wouldn't we as nurses with all the information, how close we are to delivering patient care, all that evidence, why wouldn't we want to use that in the most powerful way possible? The most powerful way possible is to join with the people that have a seat at the global table with the World Health Organization. That's the International Council of Nurses. The next reason we would get something out of this is the ability to advance our profession. If the International Council of Nursing are discussing advanced nursing guidelines, which they did last year, What happens if the UK are not at that table? Exactly. We're not there. And that's what happened. That's not me talking about a hypothetical situation. I believe they did include the UK. And I believe the people in the UK that deal with that absolutely were part of it. But you see where I'm coming from. Mm. That There's many issues that they deal with. There's definitions and policies. And if we want to truly advance ourselves as a profession, we need to do that with our colleagues across the globe. And the best way to do that is through the International Council of Nursing. And the third one that people sometimes don't talk about are our own terms and conditions. If we want to be treated with the status we deserve, if we want to have pay that represents our professionalism and our safety critical profession, this is not just an issue that the UK are dealing with. Safe staffing, pay, conditions, these are global nursing issues. Do we really think that if we just fight this in the UK, that's going to be enough? There are nurses that are having disputes and taking action and lobbying and campaigning all across the world. We can learn from them and we can support them and we can give them resources and they can give us resources. So it's clear to me we will gain a lot. And I think that is relevant to the most senior nurse in the UK. I think that's relevant to academics in the UK because clearly there's a link to research as well. There's a link to public health, but there is absolutely a link to every student, newly qualified and novice nurse and uh, people at different stages of their career. This affects us all. So I think there's a, a lot to be gained by one, being globally minded and two, doing that by joining the International Council of Nurses. Yeah, I think you're so true. And I think when I read the World Health Organization's State of the World Nursing Report, these issues are global. Mm. And the things like nurse pay, safe staffing, professional standards, they absolutely are global issues. And why would we not want to be part of that table talking about it? My only concern, and it is something that we'll bring up with Howard in our interview, is as newly qualified novice nurses, we have so many things to be worried about getting to grips with our own roles that then thinking about global nursing is maybe not always at the forefront of everyone's minds. Don't you think that right now we're in a global pandemic? So the time is now, isn't it? If you're ever going to think of something globally, you and I both started work during a global pandemic. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting as a mental health nurse, a lot of people outside of nursing, the medical world assume that 
well, it's not directly impacting you, but it's directly impacting society. It's impacting people's mental health. And so all the issues we deal with are global, really, aren't they? Even environmental issues, all of those kind of things, if we don't find a global solution to it. I think you're absolutely right. And I understand I have very vivid memories of my days as a newly qualified nurse. I find it a tough time, actually, because I'd come from a place of influence to a place where I didn't have much influence. But when you think of us all working at the moment, There is nothing more than global to our issue because disease respects no geographical boundaries. Our whole lives are defined by a global infectious disease right now. So it's rewriting that narrative to say everything we're experiencing has the global impact. It's not an add-on to our lives. It's a lot of the solution to the issues that we're trying to grapple with. And it's just part of our story because we're linked to people across the planet. And I also think if you think about what's happening governmentally in our country, things like Brexit, Great Britain and the UK is becoming more and more insular. So why would we not want to join something more global as part of a much wider society? I feel like as a country, we're becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. I feel you're right. And I feel like there's a a growing sense of looking inwards. And Brexit is a classic example of that. And I've always prided myself that I'm in a profession that does the right thing and is forward looking. So this is another reason this is such an important issue to me that I think we've got an opportunity to role model and demonstrate that we're not looking inwards we're looking outwards we're looking out the wider world and how we can make a difference to that and how we like to end every interview Jenny we like to ask if you've got any piece of advice now it can be as big or as small as you like it can be existential or just a tiny little thing if you had a piece of advice for any newly registered nurse there what would it be well again I've I've thought really carefully about this (laughs) the power you've given me so I have to be careful with it I think there are two things I would say the first one is I became a nurse because I felt a link to emotionally to people and working with people but I don't think so I you know it's quite a long time ago I qualified in 97 and there was enough talk about the emotional labor of nursing and I was unprepared for the emotional impact on me as a human being and also I felt the absolute need as a nurse to be tough not express it not share it and if I did that I wouldn't be seen as this resilient coping nurse so one of the things I would say is find people you can have that discussion with and accept it and work with it and deal with it because that's the reason a lot of us come into nursing is the emotional intelligence and the emotional connection and then we're worried or wondering why that affects us emotionally when we deal with people's lives and problems and the second piece of advice I would say is not every environment will be for you and that's okay that doesn't make you a failure I've talked to you a lot about some of the successes in my career but probably haven't blown my own trumpet about the areas that just weren't for me and that I moved on from pretty quickly so I think if you find yourself in an area and it's not working out it's not you it's not you as a nurse there's a better fit for you somewhere else what a wonderful role model I think you are Jenny and if anyone wants to find you on social media where's the best place to find you 
Twitter um, at Jenny Dubs. And if they want to find We Are Global Nurses, what's that on Twitter? So we're um, on Twitter as we and the, the letter R Global Nurses and we're on Instagram and Facebook as We Are Global Nurses and we have a website www.weareglobalnurses.com Thank you very much. There's all your plugs in. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And to you. Thanks so much. Mwah. So to our eagle-eyed listeners, you may notice that Claire is not here on this interview. As we know, we are both working nurses and Claire is very busy with work. So unfortunately for you all, I'm having to step in and do this interview alone. So I hope that you're happy with that. But I am more than delighted to be joined by Howard Catton, who is a registered general nurse, lives in Geneva and is the chief executive officer of the International Council of Nurses. So welcome, Howard. Uh, Craig, hi. I'm delighted to be able to do this for you and uh, for your listeners as well. Thank you very much. Generally, what we ask all our guests to do is to tell us their own story, how you've got to where you are, how you got into nursing. We'd love this to be a personal account, but please don't feel that you would have to share anything that you wouldn't be happy with our listeners hearing. Craig, I think probably the first thing I'd say is that I have no plan that's taken me along the journey and the path that I've trod. So people often think that folk get to where they are from a lot of deliberate thinking and planning and working out their options. And what I'd say sort of at the outset on this is that I think it's really important that people follow their passion and what they believe in. And that if you go into whatever career route you decide to take, that if you enter it because it's something that you feel strongly committed, passionate about, if you are always got that thirst for learning, then uh, your journey will be will be a good one. That said, Craig, I started off as an auxiliary nurse many years ago, uh-huh. needed to get a job, lived near to a hospital, actually went to try and get a job as a porter. And they said, we haven't <laughs> got any jobs as a porter at the moment. But if you go to this other office, then, you know, they might have an opportunity. But that was an important lesson because it was not something that I expected to do. And I had some of my own prejudices about whether that was what I wanted to do. But I needed a job and I did it and had a little battle with myself about finding that I was enjoying it far much more than I expected. And as a result of that, was encouraged to apply to do my training. I don't know what it's like now. This was in the days where you often had to wait like two years to get a place on a program. Well, it's certainly Um, not like that now with the 40,000 nurse vacancies. (laughs) As I understand, as I understand. Anyway, listen, I got really lucky. I applied to a few places and, and moved to Bristol, who had somebody who'd had to drop out. And so I did my education pre-2000. I'm not going to tell you exactly when. Uh, Dan in Bristol had a wonderful experience in Bristol. Uh, and when I qualified, I staffed in Bristol on the oncology unit down there, which was my specialism at the time. But then I wanted to go on and do some further education. So I ended up spending some time to get my degree. I didn't go for a degree in nursing at the uh-huh. time. I went for a degree in social policy and management as well. Did that, but then went back into nursing, then had the opportunity to do some time as a manager. Uh, Wasn't very good at that, went back into nursing. (laughs) Um, Spent some time in Australia and New Zealand and also in the States 
as well, working as a nurse during some of those periods of time. And I eventually found my way to the Royal College of Nursing to a job as an officer for the Royal College of Nursing down in the southwest of England. But I'd been involved with the RCN from being a student. Yeah. Um, I like myself. There you go. You see, the, the time that I've been associated with the college has been the overwhelming majority of my career I have had an association with the college. And, and before I left the UK, I spent well over 15 years working for the college in different roles. So I was working in Cavendish Square, looking after some of the policy and international work that the college was doing. It was my last job with them before I left to come to Geneva. And I came to ICN just over four years ago. Now I came out as the director of nursing and a couple of years ago took on the role as the chief executive officer. So that's me, Craig. Well, congratulations. They are very many achievements. Now for our listeners that don't know about it, can you just tell us a little bit more about the International Council of Nurses and its work? Specifically, as this episode's about global nursing, what is it that the ICN do? Sure. So the International Council of Nurses is a federation of national nursing associations from around the world. It's not individual nurses who join ICN, it's national nursing associations. And currently more than 130 national nursing associations from around the world are members of ICN. ICN is in official relations with the World Health organization. We are recognized as the body who intervene on nursing, who bring nursing advice and expertise into WHO work and policy making. That means that there may be expert groups, there's areas of policy development, but it also means that we can intervene, posh word for that we are able to speak at some of the WHO meetings and events, including the World Health Assembly. And we have this formal status with WHO, and it was first granted very soon after WHO were created, back after the Second World War. But it's not something that was given to us many years ago, and we just carry on with. Every three years, we have to renew that special relationship, which means that we have to agree the projects and the issues that we're working on with WHO. Uh, But there are some other big things that people may be aware that we do. We set the theme for International Nurses Day every year and put out publications in relation to that. We organise the biggest global congress of nurses every two years. Last one, just last year in Singapore, 5,000 nurses from 120-odd countries who attended that. Our work at the moment, Craig, this year has changed very much. This year is the first ever WHO recognised International Year of the Nurse and the Midwife, which I'm yeah. sure you, I know you and others will be uh, aware of. Um, which we're all very grateful has been extended into next year as well. Which is fantastic. But a lot of the plans we had for this year were about celebrating nursing uh, and midwifery and the contribution that nurses around the world make to global health. But of course, when the pandemic hit, we've had to reorganise a lot of our work to focus on that. And I hope that people will have seen that we have been pretty vocal advocates for nursing globally in relation to things like the levels of infections and tragically deaths of nurses that we've seen, problems with the supply of PPE. We've worked on guidance with WHO on infection prevention and control and the rights of nurses and other health workers. Most recent survey, big highlight on 
the mental health impacts of the pandemic on the global nursing workforces as well. I think it's often uh, conversations uh, with folk about what is it that ICN does, and it can seem really, really remote and distant. And I think one of the things that the pandemic has highlighted has been just how interdependent we are as countries and nations, the importance of working together to defeat the virus. And that applies to our political leaders and to our healthcare professionals and our nurses. And there's been some fabulous learning, sharing and support that has taken place this year between the nursing community globally and our national nursing associations. Yeah, which makes me very sad that the UK isn't a part of the ICN, if I'm honest. I publicly stated at the start of this episode, I am part of the campaigning group for We Are Global Nurses and want the RCN to rejoin. However, that being said, Mm. when it was put out on Twitter that I would be speaking to you today, I'm going to go a bit Emily Maitlis slash Jeremy Paxman on you. So I've been asked to ask you a few questions. So I hope you don't mind. They come from our unprepared ones. So many RCN members believe that the ICN happens to be an extremely expensive option at over £400,000 for the UK to join. And it doesn't really have any measurement of outcomes and they believe have a weak governance structure. So Mm. what do you believe has actually changed since the Royal College of Nursing has left the ICN? So, look, we have provided, uh, first thing to say, as, as ICN, provided a lot, a lot of information to RCN uh, and RCN Council over recent weeks to try and address these questions of detail, because there's a lot of changes that have taken place in ICN over the recent years. This question of impact, this question of impact, which I think yeah. is absolutely a fundamental one. You know, you're going to join any club. Why would I join? What am I going to get out? What are you going to deliver? I'll just give you some examples. We've said we've got an international year of the nurse and the midwife. That was something that we campaigned and lobbied for. And you'll have heard and seen the very top leadership of WHO, Dr. Tedros, talking extensively about nursing. Not just saying we'll have a year of the nurse and the midwife, but also agreed that we would have the first ever state of the world's nursing report, a WHO-driven report that ICN Nursing now work together to co-author. So a really significant report from WHO on nursing. The first ever chief nursing officer appointed at WHO, Elizabeth Aro, again, yeah. happened as a role of our lobbying. In Europe, you've got a commitment to a chief nurse in the WHO European region as a result of lobbying, which ICN has done. World Patient Safety Day has just passed the 17th of September. What was the focus? Patient safety and health workforce safety, two sides of the same coin, something that ICN pushed and lobbied for. I could go on with some practical examples of how we've influenced and impacted, I think, on WHO. And I'm conscious for, for people who don't know some of the history, and I share this as well, I was working with RCN at the time that RCN withdrew from ICN. And this question of what difference does the international body make to global health on behalf of nursing was a very real one then and a very legitimate one. And in a way, you know, I think that RCN's withdrawal has resulted in ICN looking at how it goes about its work and what it does and how it delivers an impact. So there are some examples of that. Uh, We're a membership organisation. Let's talk about the money issue as well. So our associations 
pay fees annually to us. And that is a major source of our income. But this is worked out on the basis of how much different countries pay is whether they're a low income country, uh, a low middle, a middle or a high income country. And dependent on which of those countries determined by the World Bank that you fall into, then there is a fee per member. Um, And for high income countries, it's around about two Swiss francs at the moment. So I don't know, that's probably about £1.50. So the formula for how fees are determined is the same for everyone with a recognition that you've got poorer countries and richer countries as well. But one of the issues I know for the RCM when they withdrew was that they were seeing their fees go up and go up and go up and go up and go up as they were growing. So one of the things that we've also recently done is to cap the amount that any one organization pays so that no one organization organization pays more than 10% of the total income from ICN as well. Which Um, I think will be really useful for our members to know. Another tweet I received from an RCN member, they stated that most members believed and are convinced by the benefits of Mm -hmm. rejoining the ICN, but they say they requested a financial statement for the RCN rejoining the ICN and thinks what is most needed is a fully costed briefing to inform the other side of the equation. So what would you say to that? I think you previously have mentioned that you have sent this information to council. Is that correct? We've sent an awful lot of information over to council, issues of impact, issues of how we're governed. I mean, we have our equivalent to the annual general meeting is what we call our council of nursing representatives, where you have the presidents, the chief executives from the 130 associations who have two and a half days of like annual general meeting where all of the stuff that's important for organizations to have the audited accounts, the budgets, we have an independent risk committee as well. All of those processes that you'd expect are in place, but it's the members of the organization who oversee that and have access to that information. As I said, we've provided a lot of that already. And our board is like the RCN Council is elected by national nursing associations from right around the world. So we have an elected leadership as well. And this question of the money that you pay, the impact you make, the value for money, look, absolutely legitimate for the RCN asked those questions. The other 130 associations asked those questions and made a judgment in terms of joining. And what I would say about that, Craig, and you have just, I have seen that you have just recently tweeted something which is very, very similar to something that I've been saying as well. It's an observation from me of my time here that yes, I have lots of conversations with our associations about the impact, the value for money of ICN, but they also say, as well as what we can get, what do we give? Yeah, This is about learning, sharing, supporting our colleagues and associations from around the world. You know, one of the things that we've been doing over the last two years, there's been a lot of disasters in the world from hurricanes and flooding, the dreadful explosion in Lebanon as well, and nurses who've lost their lives as a result of COVID. We have a disaster fund pretty much exclusively supported by the National Nursing Associations. And we use that fund to try and put money directly into the hands of nurses who have suffered hardship or loss as a result of natural disasters 
in Lebanon, the nurses whose houses were flattened, for example, yeah. you know, trying to support them as, as well. So I think for me, it's absolutely right to say, what do we get? But I think that conversation about what we can give is is equally important. Absolutely agree. And I think the World Health Organization State of the World Nursing Report that you referenced very early on that you guys worked on, it's so important and it shows that the global nursing issues, they really are truly global. Things like staff pay, nurse terms and conditions, the professional development of nursing, these are global issues. They aren't ones that we can face individually as countries. They're ones we can lobby for and develop together. Now, my last Emily Maitlis question before I get back to script. So we know that there's a consultation going out to all RCM members in November. So when that goes out, we know that they're going to be talking about that there's many other global organisations that the RCN could join. So could you tell us a little bit more about the benefits of the ICN's links to the World Health Organisation? Because not all these other global organisations have that link. So what does the link to the World Health Organisation make so special to the ICN? You're absolutely right. As I said, we have this special relationship that's renewed every three years. And it includes, for example, the current plan agreement that we have refers to human resource issues, issues of decent work. So work that WHO is doing to bring forward guidance on the pay, terms and conditions, support at work type of issues that you've described. WHO will come to ICN to provide the experts to advise on and support the development of those guidance, for example. But it goes beyond just those issues. Another huge objective of WHO is universal health coverage, increasing access to care to people. We know nurses, particularly supported through advanced practice roles, have a major, major part to play in relation to that. I've mentioned we've just had World Patient Safety Day. We've also just had World Mental Health Day. Both of those days, both of them focused on safety and mental health of patients and people, but also of staff as well. That was as a result of ICM bringing that work forward. So we are a route into the different areas of WHO policy making to bring nursing expertise to that. We meet regularly. The president regularly meets with the director general and the ICN team on a weekly basis are talking to the nurses and other advisors who are working within WHO. WHO is based in Geneva, but also it's got regional offices. WHO Europe uh, in Copenhagen is yeah. uh, is the place that's obviously relevant to the UK. The, the current director, Hans Kluger, I, I know well, and personally lobbied him to have a chief nurse yeah. uh, in Europe. And I, I just see this. Congratulations. Well, I, listen, there was there are other people who are involved in that as well. But, but equally, it's important that I say that ICN played a leading role in that because we did. But for me, that's also not about saying It is just about ICN. One of the, without going too much down a path here, but one of the things that I firmly believe about addressing the global health agenda now, which I think is more important than ever before, it's about partnerships and about collaborations, and they change over time. In the same way that, you know, those of you who are currently involved in clinical practice will know that actually, as well as providing the health services to somebody who has a need right now, thinking about all of those social environmental issues that are impacting on them, their employment, their housing, their education, what we might call the social determinants of health, are actually as important to keeping somebody well. So 
and that involves having partnerships with a whole range of different people. This is great. The story I just want to tell you about, because it was lovely when I was talking to Hans about the importance of having a nurse. Uh, he said that how he said there's, there's somebody who you must uh, must meet. And this was there was a big meeting going on at WHO Copenhagen, and he brought over a woman, and he didn't tell me until he introduced me and said, um, uh, "And this is my mother." Uh, and she's a nurse. And so was she, mine. <laughs> and she, yes, you know, my passion and my commitment to nursing is because of my mother as well. So, I mean, you need to get to people who are at the top of the organisations to make the strategic decisions, but then you need to follow that through. It's no good having just figureheads. People need to have real authority. They need to have staff. They need to have budgets to do things as well. And one of the things that in Europe, just to give you another example of impact that as a result of these conversations about nursing, WHO in Europe have been particularly trying to provide support to countries, some of the Eastern European countries to develop their primary healthcare services. Um, WHO send missions, they call them missions, to countries where countries request help and support from WHO and they'll send a send a mission and ICN were invited to provide experts to go on missions in Poland in the Czech Republic just recently I recall as well so it, it's important of course to get nursing at the very top strategic level but also into all of these different work programs as well and that's reflected in the regions around the world. I just yesterday was talking to the EMRO region, the Eastern Mediterranean region for WHO. We've got World Diabetes Day coming up. And what they specifically want to do is to shine the light on the nursing diabetes specialist nurses yeah. in their region. Who have they come to to ask to help with, with fact sheets, with a campaign? We think we're going to try and do a little video as well. They've come to ICN and we're trying to bring in some diabetes experts to help with that as well. So it's the route into influencing WHO, both in the formal meetings where member states are coming together to decide priorities and objectives. But then once the member states, a bit like council members or board members set the direction, the WHO staff and machine then needs to put that into practice. And it's that work as well that you'll find ICN not just lobbying and advocating in the big ministerial meetings, but then also providing people and, and nurses to work with WHO to get the strategic decisions operationalized and, and implemented. And it's really interesting that you brought up universal health coverage, because when we flip back to what we were talking about earlier, about what it is that we as the UK can give by rejoining the ICN, obviously we have the NHS, which is a form of universal health coverage. Mm -hmm. So that is something that I personally believe that we could bring and be an exemplar of for countries to adopt across the world. So that is something that I personally think is very important. And Craig, you make a a really important point here because I've spoken a lot about bringing nursing voice, nursing expertise, nursing impact to develop policies. But at the core of what ICN is trying to do is as well, this isn't just about arguing for nursing for nursing's sake. The point is to improve health for the people of the world. And that means changing health systems and influencing health policy and the, the political choices that have to be made as well. So that connection between nursing and health policy, nursing is the a massive enabler to improve global health is something that we have been trying to 
articulate much more strongly. For anybody who's interested, instead we 12th of May every year when we lead the celebrations for International Nurses Day, we put out a publication. And if you look the last three years, that publication addresses some of the big policy issues, but also is littered with practical case studies and examples of nurses doing it in practice from right the way around the world. And it's hugely, I think, it's been in our lobbying, hugely persuasive to say, here's the policy or the health challenge. But I bring you from ICN and our 130 national, I bring you some solutions as well. I bring you many solutions based on what nurses are actually doing around the world. And that's why you need to get behind them. You need to support them. You need to invest in them. You need to make sure that you've got a chief nurse alongside whoever the people are that are running your health systems and whoever your health minister is as well to provide that advice and that input. And I genuinely believe that WHO recognise that publicly <laughs> uh, talk about it in a way that they haven't done before or they haven't done in in my lifetime or in my living memory of this as well. I'm, I'm going to stop because otherwise you get me going about because this isn't <laughs> just about now, this is about thinking about the future and there's a lot that we're also doing. So this is a really important time for nursing, but it will yeah. pass because things move on and pass. So there's also a really important futures discussion about and what is it else that we need to do now to put in solid foundations that will mean that this time, that future generations will look back and say that the global nursing community, ICN, they had that moment in the sun. They didn't blow it. They put down some solid foundations and some steps on the ladder which have lifted us up and continued to move us forward. Absolutely. So I'm going to switch from mateless mode and back to Craig Davidson. So we'll go back. Our podcast is called Retaining the Passion. And myself and my co-host Claire Manley, we're both newly registered nurses. So I'm an adult nurse that works in a inpatient setting. Claire is a community mental health nurse. So we are both newly registered nurses. You know our close friend Jess Sainsbury, who is chair of RCN students. So we know that the ICN actively does a lot of work work with student nurses but how can we convince novice and newly registered nurses that they need to become more engaged in global nursing because we know that newly registered nurses they become so involved in their role and there is just so much that they have to do to get to grips with it so what benefit will they get out of becoming part of global nursing and what are the advantages to them of the RCN region and the ICN? So there are some things that we do with student novice uh, early career nurses. For example, I mentioned our Congress. Immediately before our Congress every two years, there's a student assembly in Singapore, uh, nearly a thousand on one day of, of student novice nurses who came together for that. And that group then reports to the, the AGM equivalent that I talked to you about as well. So the, the student novice nurses have their forum and then they go and meet with and share and, and give their advice to the governing body as well. Uh, we have a network that we're re- just refreshing the leadership team for that as well. Um, obviously, the, the leadership are based on people 
who come from associations that are in membership. We, we include student novice nurses on the delegations that go to the World Health Assembly. So yeah. when the World Health Assembly happens, we normally take, can vary between uh, 80 to 100 nurses from around the world who are the nursing ICN delegation who go. Uh, and we include student and novice nurses as part of that. So those are some very real practical ways in which student and novice voices and influence uh, direct the work of ICN. But I get it as well that, look, not every student novice nurse is going to be able to be active in that way. So why should they take an interest? I think that they know this. The last thing I want to do is to sound patronising about this in any way, shape or form. But I think that some of the things I said about if students look at where they're caring for people who've got health challenges or issues and they're looking at how do we fix this, it's so often much more than just the health fix. It's considering someone within their social context, within the society they're working. Are they employment? Are they in poverty? Have they been able to get a job? What are the impacts of climate change being on their health as well? Those sorts of questions, when you're really thinking about what good health and well-being is, very quickly, I think, take you to a conversation where you're thinking about how our societies are organized and run the values the principles how we're addressing things like we've talked about climate change as well and of course covid again just absolutely reinforces that no country is an island in terms of being able to to stay immune from the virus and that the things to deal with it we can share and learn across borders there are some very practical things you know supply of ppe needs to move across borders countries need to be working together for customs issues and things like that so i think this generation more recent generations than mine see that, get that. It's part of their education, it's their practice and their yeah. and their experience as well. Which means that, you know, getting involved in these international issues isn't because it's some distant, far off, laudable pursuit to go and sit in an international meeting and think about how you save the planet. It's because you see in your daily practice how important these things exactly. uh, how important these things the, these things are. And I think there are some wonderful opportunities just to, I mean, I think that current generations have much more opportunities to do electives or sabbaticals or to visit and learn from other countries as well, which is just, it's a wonderful part of the learning experience. And I think it's also, there's also a mindset issue. I think I know without casting aspersions on anyone else, I, I know that, you know, in my early years, when I first started to do international work, I always said, oh, well, I'm coming to this from the UK, so I'll have all of the answers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people want to hear what I have to say. You very quickly realise that you've got more to learn than you have to teach when you're having conversations with people who are delivering health care in some of the most challenged situations and circumstances that you can barely imagine it's not just humble it is humbling but it's not just humbling it's also you know phenomenal learning for about how things can be done differently yeah and i know this was a question that claire wanted to raise now claire is a registered mental health nurse and in the uk obviously we have registered adult nurses registered mental health registered ld and registered children's nurses now this isn't something that is universal across the globe i did uh, exchange placement in america everyone changes a generalist and in their Mm. preceptorship year decides what they then want to be Claire did a placement in China and they were surprised that she was a mental health nurse. It didn't exist. What's ICN standing on that and on nursing generalisation and specialisation? So one of the things that we've done just recently is to put out a publication on advanced 
practice competencies because I think that advanced practice roles are hugely underutilized right the way around the world. And that's in part been because there has often some confusion and different countries doing things in different ways. So we put out that publication for pretty interested in advanced practice. But what I say is that we have to be very, very, very careful as well to respect the different contexts of different countries. Absolutely. So to think that you can go in and say, Here's the model that will work everywhere for a health policy issue, for nursing education. No, it's not. People yes. will develop a model that is specific to their context and the challenges that they're facing. You can learn a lot from that, but you also need to respect that as well. So ICN are not going to put a, a detailed template down in terms of the types of nurses that there should be. But there are some core issues. Advanced practice as one. The definition of what a nurse is is another one. Another really important one, and when this podcast goes out, we will have launched a consultation on the ICN Code of Ethics. We've yeah. had a Code of Ethics for many, 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 many years. It's one of our most popular publications. We've just gone through a process with nurse ethicist experts from around the world to review that because, as we know, technological challenges, issues around rights and discrimination and justice uh, are presenting some new challenges to the world, but to the profession as well. So we've done a refresh of that Code of Ethics um, and we're putting it out for consultation. But it's again, it's an example of where a Code of Ethics, definition of a nurse, advanced practice, maybe areas where we would offer advice. But we have to be very careful, as I say, that we don't step over the mark in terms of saying this is a solution to every individual country that, that they must adopt. And I would be remiss to let you go because we end every episode by asking our guests if you had any piece of advice. Now, it can be large, small, existential, whatever it is. If you had any piece of advice for a newly registered novice nurse, what would it be? I think... Listen, I said something right at the start of this interview about go with your passion, go with your guts, go with what you believe in. And I think you have to do that. If you try and have a plan to somewhere that you want to be, but you're not really, really committed and believe in it, I don't think it will take you where you want to go. So there is something about being true to yourself. I know that that can sound a bit trite, but I think it's important. And then I think to be able to do that, you need people around you who will help to keep you true to yourself. And that means having friends, mentors, people who are honest with you as well. And I I think that that, um, you don't need many, but I think that they're you know, that sense check, that safety, people who will speak truth to you or give you an honest opinion, I think is really, really important. And and throughout all of that, Craig, I think for me, the other thing is that you never, never, never stop learning every yeah. day, every day. There's something new. I, I and, and again, you know, my own, um, my ignorance and immaturity <laughs> when I was younger, <laughs> some of that still there. Some of my, my, my close friends and confidence would say, <laughs> would, would say, so, but I, do, I only remember those times when you think, right, you know, I do this learning, I do this education, I do this experience. And then I know it. Yeah. And you, you know, some stuff, but the next day you put yourself into a different situation and you have to good old nursing, you know, good, good old nursing process in terms of do your assessment and planning and then evaluate what you've implemented. And it's a continuous cycle. So never stop thinking there's stuff to learn. Exactly. And if anyone wants to follow you in social media, Howard, where can they find you? Yeah. So I do, um, I do Twitter at Howard Catton uh, at ICN. Um, and the ICN has a Twitter account at ICN Nurses as well. Our website, lots of stuff that we've talked about is on our website. We've got ICN Facebook 
<laughs> as, as incredible as it may sound, that social media has been something new to ICN in the last four, four or five years as well. But we're we're, yeah. we're trying to get with that the best that we can as 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 well. Well, can I thank you so so much for taking time out of your valuable schedule to speak to us, and thank you for being so patient for me with my first time hosting and for also bearing with my Emily Maitlis style questions as well as the Craig questions. I think Claire needs to watch out that you're going to get poached by Newsnight or Channel 4 News or something very, very quickly, Craig. You are a complete, <laughs> complete professional. Uh, listen, my, um, yeah, my, my pleasure, my pleasure. So it was so lovely to speak to Jenny and I've had the chance to listen back to your conversation with Howard Craig. Which oh, I, was really hope I, I hope I did you justice. <laughs> you did. You were great. You know, you asked those tough questions. I'm the straight talker normally, so that's really good. So I think it's really interesting and I've done a lot of thinking like you and I are really both on board with global nursing we both yeah. I think we refer to it throughout we've both been really lucky and been abroad as part of yeah. our nurse training so I went to China and you went to the US and so the concept of global nursing is something I totally buy into we can learn from each other we can experience things in different ways we can support each other we're in a global pandemic we need to be finding a solution and you more than I have been aware I think and on board with the whole campaign around the yeah. ICN and the history of it as is and I think you refer to her in your interview with Howard Jess who's a very good friend of ours and and I'm not quite there and I think it's really important to acknowledge because since you particularly your I interview think with Howard, that you acknowledge that yeah I think since your interview with Howard in particular you've had loads of support like you say when you spoke to him you asked him those questions that came directly from Twitter but you know we have had some questions saying oh is this just going to be a you know rejoin the ICN podcast and I just want to put my marker in the sand and say I don't know which way I would vote right now I don't know enough exactly and so I want to learn and that is why I've also said to people that have made those comments on Twitter, please listen to the podcast because mm. it is not a pitch to join the ICN. It is an informed discussion. And I hope those difficult questions that I ask Howard will allow people to make that informed opinion. Now, what we normally do is we reflect on the discussions. And I think because Jenny, one of the loveliest women alive, and Howard, who is <laughs> equally lovely, made very different points, I think it'd be quite good for us to go through through them separately. So first with Jenny, I thought it was really interesting that the RCN no longer have student organisation roles. So student organisers who take time out their studies. And I wonder if that's something that could be reintroduced. What do you think about yeah, that? I thought it was really interesting because particularly in the wider student population, so not just the nursing student population, that is in a lot of areas how students' representative voices are heard. So, mm -hmm. you know, your students' union have sabbatical members who then take that forward. And I think Jenny talked about the fact that she had also been involved in the NUS as a student. So that's a traditional model, isn't it? That people yeah. come outside of their studies for a year and get funded to do it. But I think it's really interesting because whichever union you're with, and we are talking about the union movement probably, 
probably in that respect more than like the professional nursing side of it. Actually, it just really shows value to the future of the nursing workforce and to investment in them and to developing them. And it gives them a real clear focus because doing anything alongside nurse training is really tough thing. You have to juggle your time and something gives. So I thought that was fascinating that they used to have them. I would really like to know a little bit more about whether that was just a short-term thing around the bursary or why they went. And yeah, I think it would be great to have. Yeah, I'm really interested to know why it disappeared, particularly because we both sat on the RCN Students Committee and you sat on the Trade Union Committee. There's a student member on the Professional Nursing Committee and on Council. And these are voluntary roles that we do on top of our studies. And it's a huge undertaking. So if you could take time out of your studies to focus on that, why not? Yeah, and I think it's right that there's still those voluntary roles. I'm just yeah, thinking of, of it now whilst we talk about it, that that's really important and that the students' committee is voluntary and that those people are still current students. But I think if you had a regional officer role, for want of a better word, that was all about empowering students, just go and support student ambassadors to collate that advice, to do some of that surveying and assessing and campaigning and bringing those issues forward. It'd be amazing. And think of how great those skills would be when you joined workforce trust like it's not going to be lost is it and I also found it really inspiring that Jenny is now in a commissioning group and that doesn't require her to be a nurse but she brings her nursing and health visiting skills to it and to me that just shows how transferable nursing skills are yeah well look at both of them we're talking more about Jenny now but they both started off as nurses and if you went to ask anybody the general public what careers would you end up with if you started as a nurse I don't think either the Jenny or Howard's role would be one that would came up in a family fortunes kind of list of 10. <laughs> yeah, no. They've both done incredibly diverse things within their professional body, within other organisations, within local organisations. And I loved what Jenny said about her career. She just made me stop in my tracks and think about that whole stuff around your band not being a definition of success. Yeah, so I think exactly. I get caught up in that a little bit. I've got to be honest that I'm like, need to get to a band sick and God, some of that's like paid that related too. and I think so many of us are like that and it is paid related I think and when she said success is not determined by your grades or your hierarchical oh. climb I was like oh my god ah oh. that was yeah. like heaven saying definitely because actually if you list Jenny's jobs that she's had I couldn't have guessed what band if I was guessing a band you'd say seven or eight because she's got this wealth of experience and it's so inspiring to hear somebody that has talked about such a wide range of roles both locally so she's really focused on that social justice locally you know talked about London and being in Peckham and yeah and then also globally where she's been abroad and she's brought all of that together and she's so passionate about what she's doing and I love that and I love that she also said at the end the stuff about you talked about where I've done really well but actually there's equally as many where mm weren't for me and I just kind of moved on and I'm like yeah actually that's true too you know when we look back at the mistakes we've made and in terms of choosing a job or a house or whatever a pair of shoes you know they become <laughs> insignificant right you don't remember them you just remember the really nice shoes that you bought and it's the same yeah. and I just thought that is true like if it's not working there's so much diversity in nursing that we can embrace so yeah Jenny was amazing 
But her view on global nursing, because for me, really, talking to Jenny was the first time I've sat down and had a conversation about global nursing, other than talking about like the practicalities when I went to China, about the differences in nursing in China and nursing here and that real on the ground kind of stuff. It was really interesting to listen to her. Mm -hmm. And I found some of the most exciting things she said probably on what maybe are obvious, but... You know, when she said she was sat watching the Twitter conversation around Congress in 2017, I love that there was a whole group of them and that's where it came from. That really Mm. is quite exciting that it wasn't in a boardroom across a table. It was a group of nurses together with a shared passion and drive. Who found each other. I think that's what made me maybe go, okay. I need to, you know, because I've known you're involved in it and Jess and a few of my other friends are involved in it. And to be honest, I've let it pass me by a bit. I've been so busy. I haven't had a chance to read a lot of it. I'll hold my hands up. It's not been my focus. And then I've started to really look at it. And it's the fact that it wasn't an arranged meeting by somebody to discuss. It was a group of people sat at home with a brew who all came together with a common thing. And that really feels like the voice of nursing. nursing. Yeah, that really captured my interest, I think, because I I am interested in global nursing. It's no secret that I'm interested in perinatal mental health. It's what my master's in. It's one of the World Health Organization's key things. I read loads about that, but maybe not in the context of nursing, just more in global impact. So I could talk to Jenny for hours. hours. (laughs) And what I love when she talked about Paul Jeb, because I think Jenny's relationship with Paul Jeb is a little bit similar as yours and mine and ours and Jess's, is Mm -hmm. the people you meet really early on in your career, they can become your people and help you develop your journey. We were very lucky, sat on the student nurse project. We were on the RCN students committee. We're now on RCN newly qualified nurses. So it's about developing that network of people who can really help you. And I thought that was great. It was great. And it was nice to know that you might still tolerate me this many years down there. Of course I will. (laughs) But I think it's really important to know that you meet these people and I will tell you and you will tell me, I think you're going down a rabbit hole here or you shouldn't have said that or I don't agree with you. I think that's really important in those kind of relationships where you become friends with people through professional circumstances and meeting. You still maintain that ability to not just blindly nod and agree. And I think that's really important. And I love that. I love that I can go, well, I'm not, I'm not just going to vote this way because you said so. I'm going to, and we talk about loads of different things that we agree with from, you know, so that's really important to do, I think. And then Um, we'd be remiss to not mention the ICN, but one part I thought that she said that was so significant was that why would we not want to sit on the World Health Organization Assembly? It's not about what we get it's about what we can give for the vulnerable in society and I think she got that across really clearly she did she really did and that was something I I mean I I don't know if that's even just about global nursing that's just something I believe full stop it's not just about what you get it's about what you give and I find it hard to think that any nurse would think differently. Yeah. I, do, I get there's different opinions on a global thing, but on a fundamental stage. Yeah, and on a fundamental then, nursing thing, I think that's yeah, really important. Yeah. And obviously we asked them to give advice, but I thought her piece of advice that was that she said we need to support the emotional labour of us as human beings as nurses, because I am particularly worried about the post-traumatic influence of COVID-19 mm-hmm. and about that emotional labour And the fact that she was talking about that all the way back when she trained and we're still talking about that now, 
I think that is just so important. It is. I don't know how we do that. And short staffing definitely has an impact on that. Lack of finance, not enough resources, not enough hours in the day, all of those kind of things definitely have an impact on that. And then I was thinking the other day, and this isn't a caveat for the government to get out of giving us fair funding by any stretch, but would we always want more? You know, my role, would there ever be enough? Because actually I could care coordinate one patient and do all my hours a week, giving them the best experience and they'd have everything, platinum standard care and everything. So (laughs) I think, I suppose what I'm saying is there has to be some emotional labor for us not to be able to be replaced by robots. Of course. But at the moment, the emotional burden is at times intolerable. And And that is a worldwide thing, isn't it? That's not an England, a Scotland, a UK thing. That's everywhere. And I think you referenced this earlier, but the biggest part that I took from her advice was you are not a failure if you have to move on to another job that doesn't fit you. That doesn't make you a failure as a nurse or as a person. Yeah. I basically spoke to Jenny for the first time on that interview and I feel like I have already made a friend and someone who I could definitely phone up and just be like, so what do you think about and really like knock some ideas around and maybe kind of pull together my way of thinking, whether it agrees with her or not. She was ace. I loved her. Oh, so how on earth does she look 22? It's incredible. Uh, she's clearly I couldn't believe it when she kept going and then I spent five years here and ten years here and I was like you started work as a fetus yeah have you watched (laughs) the film Death Becomes Her I swear she's taking the potion (laughs) 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 if we reflect a bit on Howard so he talks about (laughs) not on not on on which film relates to him or whether he's taken any potions let's leave that there (laughs) not on whether he's taken any potions but Howard so he talked about how the International Council of Nurses has an official and special relationship with the World Health Organization and they bring nursing expertise to the WHO and WHO policy making so I think that is something that's really important as someone that's undecided what's your Mm. thoughts on that? I think that logically when I heard Howard speak I I don't have enough knowledge to say that he's wrong. Uh, that's not why I'm saying that he's wrong. And certainly everything he said to me made sense when he talked about the policies and the impact and the influence that we, we could have or that ICN does have with the World Health Organization. Mm. That all made sense. And I kind of found myself thinking, well, why wouldn't we want to be in that group? Why would the UK want to set themselves apart from that and not be part of that for, like we said, when we're talking about Jenny's, for the good of international nursing, for the good of nursing in the UK, but also to learn from other countries and to give support to countries who have less wealth than we do. Not a lot of this comes down to money if it was free to join. Yeah, no, of course it is. Because I also want to make a point that I really honestly do think that high and middle high income countries, we do have a moral and ethical responsibility to support poorer countries. But I also do think we have so much to learn from them. And I think it's Mm -hmm. so important that when we think about global partnership, nursing in each individual country, we can't operate as an island. I mean, look at COVID-19, for example, we are battling this as a global community. Yeah. Now, I wonder if that is even 
disputed by anybody. I think ultimately this comes down to what Jenny said, getting and giving. And do we give too much and get enough is the argument that people are asking about. And it's really hard. Some of the things that he talked about, for example, setting the year of the nurse and midwife up and all of that kind of stuff. We don't know the impact of that. We won't know the impact of that for a while, but we underestimate the, I mean, everybody knows that this is the year of the nurse and the midwife. And so I think that kind of stuff is important. And actually, interestingly, when he talked about some of the reports, I hadn't realised that they'd co-commissioned the report on the state of nursing. Yeah. I thought that had come from the World Health Organisation. So that was quite interesting. Yeah. And I hadn't realised that. And I think that's really important to see and, and hear. And I just think I am still undecided. I feel a lot more informed. There's still more stuff I'd like to read, but I yeah. I don't see an alternative. That's mm-hmm. one thing. I don't see another way to have worldwide influence. Yes, there are other organizations that we could be part of or are part of, but they're not worldwide. They're mm-hmm. segmented parts of the world. And I think it's really important that we don't become a nation. And we talked about this a bit with Jenny, actually, that we don't become a nation that just look inwardly. Brexit is making us look inwardly yep. because of where we're at. And let's not debate Brexit on this because I'll oh, never please, shut up. Please, let's not. But that we don't cut ourselves off and cut ourselves off. And when I think about the areas that I'm interested in professionally, people's mental health, perinatal mental health, the stuff around feminism and empowering women and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, they're worldwide issues. They absolutely are worldwide issues. They're all part of the World Health Organization's approach and their key determinants, social policy, making the world equitable, public health. I I just don't think we can do it on our own. And I would like to think that the World Health Organization might be somewhere I'd like to visit uh, in terms of professionally visit and impact in policy yeah. one day and would like to see the UK have some voice and representation there so I'm totally pro what he said in terms of I can't say I disagree with his rationale I do want to look at some of the figures and some of the information that's gone yeah. to council and really consider the consultation but I'm not seeing an alternative I guess that's my thing is people on Twitter have said well is this going to be just pro ICN I want to know what the alternative is. And I want this investment in international work that is alluded to. What is that? And I think and this I consultation process will do that because the consultation yeah. process, from what my understanding is, it's not just about rejoining the ICN, it is about other global associations. But I think what came across on Twitter and why I asked the question is many members talked about how our fees were increasing and increasing and increasing. And we were paying in excess of £400,000 to be a member of the ICN. And I just think it's really important that Howard highlighted to RCN members who might not be aware that there's now a cap of 10% on what any country will pay into the membership organisation as a source of income. And I think the RCN leaving, it really did make them review their governance and funding structure. Yeah, I got that from him. And I think that's so important. And I keep saying it, I think it's about what we can give, but also what we can get. For example, my global health report last year was on female sex workers in Zimbabwe with HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. And loads of the work the nurses do and lead there 
are things that we could learn and take back home. There are things that yeah. we don't do. Yeah. And I guess the argument, if there is one, as I formulate this in my head right now, is do we need the ICN to do that? Yeah. But if we follow that argument through, we can say that about any organisation, can't we? You can say it about do we need the RCN to do this? Do we need a government, you know, that comes down to a whole social policy and structure argument and that actually organisations yeah. are there for a reason and I don't want to get into that debate. So I'm really interested. And actually what this has done for me and listening to Howard and listening to Jenny and you know, having these conversations this week, I'm engaged now. So I might not have decided, but I'm engaged. Yeah. And I think this is the first bit of any campaign is let's get people interested, have an opinion, have a difference of opinion. That's great and a difference of opinion is great if we all agree yeah. the world be such a boring place well we'd never make progress so I think for me my message out of this podcast is listen listen again to what Jenny and Howard say don't listen to us but listen yeah, oh to them God, particularly yeah. don't listen to um, us listen to them listen to this bit of what we're about to say but listen to them and get an opinion be informed and make sure that when you engage in those consultations and discussions that you do it from a, an informed viewpoint because that's what this has done for me and then just going to Howard's advice for newly registered nurses mm-hmm. what I thought was great and links so well to our podcast retaining the passion is always go with your passion and gut because that for us is our whole message yeah, yeah. that's what we're about and also I also he- did love the fact that he kind of glossed over the bit where he went I tried management wasn't very good at that and now it's like <laughs> the CEO of a massive organization in Geneva I was like okay that that was funny <laughs> but also he echoes what Jenny said that having friends and mentors that will speak truth to you is so important yeah and yep. Lastly, that he said, you'll never stop learning and that you never should. And I think that is perfect. That's life. That's not just nursing. Yeah. I think what they both said, and I think as newly registered nurses, they both made really relevant point that it is our generation that is going to live with the lasting impacts of issues like climate change. And I do believe that our generation are aware of issues of social justice. And I do think things like global nursing and the sustainable development goals of the United Nations all link into that. And I think the time is now and I think it is newly registered nurses I'm not saying that there are other nurses who aren't for the campaign and won't fight for it who have been in nursing for years and years and years but I do think as newly registered nurses it's time for us to take a call to arms whatever our decision is. Yeah, I agree. I think that about everything. I think this is really interesting talking about global nursing and there's an issue right now, but get out there, get informed, have an opinion, be professional and courteous with your opinion and the way you discuss it, but let's make things different. It's really easy at the moment. I mean, I'm in Greater Manchester. I feel like we've been in this kind of hokey-cokey in and out of COVID land for months, well, we have, and each development doesn't really feel like it impacts or changes my life hugely we just don't go anywhere at the end yeah. and it's really easy to get despondent and think we can't have an impact and we can't change and we've talked about circles of influence on another podcast so we have a chance in this arena to have a voice well so- it's been absolutely lovely to catch up with you and 
don't leave me alone again. We've developed okay. such a great wee partnership, but obviously work is so important and I abandoned I you before. But you it's did. been lovely to catch up with you. And we've got some really exciting episodes coming up. So people We have some really, really, really exciting. And we're going to take two months off between series one and series two because yep. we need some time for our mental health. We but do. we have some very exciting episodes lined up for series so two as well. But we don't. They're all. Like, I can't think of an episode where I'm like, mm, that'll be dull. <laughs> but which is would, good because that would be quite rude to our guests. But we would also love you to get in touch with us and let us know what you would like us to talk yeah. about or any speakers you'd like us to have on. Oh, just to add, we now have an Instagram account. So if you're on Ooh, Instagram, um, I'm rubbish at. Terrible you, <laughs> the old Insta. I'm too old for it. If you are on Instagram, join us on www.instagram.com slash podrtp. Our website is www.podrtp.com. And you know our Twitter is at podrtp. But and it's been lovely. If you go and start getting Snapchat, I'm divorcing you as my second husband, my virtual husband, because I promise that's no. a step too far for me. <laughs> no, no Snapchat. I've never had Snapchat. No Snapchat. No TikTok. I think we have we'll got enough social media. Yeah. Have a fantastic fortnight, everybody. Mwah. Mwah. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. To make sure you stay up to date with our latest podcast, subscribe to Retain the Passion on your usual podcast provider. You can follow us on all the social media channels at PodRTP on Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash PodRTP, or see our website www.PodRTP.com for all our episodes. You can follow Craig at CraigDavidson85 on Twitter, or me, Claire, at Manners of Markle. See you next time. All music from this podcast was courtesy of Kevin McLeod.